Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Fiction. Science fiction, horror, fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and our word on KCB 106.5 FM Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside, and 1050 AM Palm Springs. Uh, joining us, we have a special guest right from Seattle here, and she's uh, one of our own, uh, lawyer, Ann Bremner. Thank you for being here. It's an honor to be. Thanks for having me. Oh, Welcome. So, Thank you. I was, you know, there, you've done so many cases, and um, you know, one I was thinking about was the Amanda Knox, of course, and, and I've talked to her, and, mm-hmm. and it was quite a story. But one thing that, as a lawyer, yeah, you know, how it, how is it dealing with the law systems in other countries? So, like when you when you have to deal when she's in Italy and and arrested for murder. Is it a real rush for you? Like, do you have to learn a lot about how they run their system and sort of kind of communicate that? Well, absolutely. It it was very difficult in her case. I mean, the Italian system is quite different from ours here in the United States. Now, for example, here in the U.S., you can be held only 72 hours on a crime before being charged. Otherwise, otherwise I have to let you go. In Italy, it's two years. Oh, that wow. was one thing, and those are clo- closed hearings. And the other thing, in, in terms of the differences, was that they didn't meet, you know, consistently day after day in a trial. They would meet on weekends and then take summers off and things like that. So it was like we used to say one huge Italian opera. This case went on and on and on. It was very dramatic. So those are just a few things. And of course, they have they don't sequester jurors, so jurors are reading media, you know, etc. And um, they don't really have the burden of proof that we have here. And that's just a start in terms of differences. Quite a different system. How, how do you feel they treated you? Like when you're 
you know, dealing with the uh, the prosecution sort of side or the crown side, um, do you find that they're they have a different way of dealing with you or treating you as a defense attorney? Well, I think the prosecutor in this case, you know, I mean, he was actually prosecuted for abuse of office during the course of Amanda's and Raphael's prosecutions and convicted. So he didn't look at us, you know, he kind of looked at us out in Seattle, that those of us that supported and worked with Amanda, they looked at us, I think, as scams. Um, so, but the system itself, I, I think, you know, it's Roman, it's based on Roman law, it's an older system than ours, it's based on English common law, and I think... You know, it's a system that works for them, and it should be accorded respect. Uh, overall, I think we were treated um, relatively well. But keeping in mind, she had her own lawyers in Italy that were actually, you know, combated in combat every day or when they were in session during the trial against the prosecutor. Now, now I have to ask, do you think that the Italian lawyers were doing as good a job as the American lawyers since she was an American citizen? Was there any, I think, you know, bias? It's really hard to tell when, when sitting out here in Seattle and, and dealing with that case over the last decade. It appeared that they did a good job. It, and, you know, Raffaele's lawyer was considered the top lawyer. Her name was Bongiorno in Italy. And she's still his lawyer because he's looking to get compensated for the wrongful prosecution. And, you know, it was a tough case. The judge wouldn't allow independent evidence in the first trial. It was allowed in the second trial, and that's what ended up in the exoneration, you know, Amanda and Raffaele. Okay. Do you, do you think that'll ever, um, is that, is it over now? Because you know how it, it, they kind of overturn yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, it just keeps going back and forth. And I'm saying, well, it, will it ever really end? Or is it just, is it done? Or is it going to keep going or what? That's a great question. They, it, this wasn't just double jeopardy in this case. It was triple jeopardy. <laughs> there was a conviction. And then that was overturned in a de novo appeal, which means you tried the case all over again on appeal. So the conviction is overturned. And then, remember, Amanda came home once it was overturned. And yet the Italian courts reinstated the case and tried her again in absentia and convicted her. So that's a three trial. Three. You know, we have, we have a prohibition against double jeopardy in this country, but they just kept going in Italy. So that's a great question to you ask, and they keep going. But apparently, it finally went to the Supreme Court in Italy, and the Supreme Court said, not only are these two innocent, they are exonerated. This, they are completely stone-cold innocent. There was no evidence against them. You know, there was no reason to hold them, and it's done. But that took 10 years. Yeah. That's a total of 10 years. Yeah, I, I could not imagine how much of a toll that's really taken on her life. And how it's, Absolutely. And, and how it can change your life. When you go through that, like that, that's 10 years, you'll never get back. And right. it's a whole new road now. And uh, it just, um, I just could not imagine what it would feel like to be in that kind of a spotlight that long like that. And so many people were, you know, there's a lot of people that still really badmouth her and talk negative. That's right. You know, and... Um, I just, I, you know, I just roll my eyes. It's like, come on, you know, because they're, they're, they really didn't, they knew who the killer was, you know, that. They not only knew who the killer was, Rudy, today, he was convicted in a fast-track trial during that preliminary hearing. Those things were tried together. He was convicted. His, you know, his um, DNA, you know, was all over the um, house. Um, you've got his, you know, fingerprints on, on Meredith's purse. 
There's bloody handprints down the walls. There's DNA in the toilet that was his. There were footprints, at least one was his. And he confessed on Skype, and he fled the jurisdiction. Evidence of flight is evidence of guilt. He fled. So he was the one. He was convicted. And, and, and that was done before Amanda and Raph's first trial. Yeah. I, I mean, I yeah. shouldn't Before lie. their trial. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Terrible. Yeah. I still find that astonishing, though. How can he, you know, how can he do an interview over Skype? I mean, that to me is just astonishing. Uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm speechless, you know, and I remember when it happened. But how can you, you know, interview over Skype? Oh, I know. And, and you know, he did. And, and he, I mean, and he's, you know, he, in terms of the evidence he left behind the scene, you know, it was just, it was overwhelming. In terms of you know indicating his guilt, he knew it because the fast track trial is really from Italy. It's really a slow track guilty plea. It's a slow guilty plea, like you see in the U.S. It just takes a little longer, yeah. and it gets you a better deal. He got a better sentence than he would have gotten if he went to trial. That's why he did it. Now, could that happen here in the U.S.? Like, could you? No, you couldn't do that sort of thing in the U.S. It just wouldn't happen. It wouldn't happen because we don't try things together like that. They tried the three of them together in a preliminary hearing. And remember, in the trial, they tried the, tried the civil cases with the criminal cases. So Pat, Patrick Mumbo's defamation case, the bar owner, um, the civil case of the family for wrongful death, those were all tried together. We don't do that here. And we don't have a slow guilty plea. We have what's called a pretty quick guilty plea. I mean, if you're going to plead guilty, then then you're going to do it at the time. And in this country, you know, the only things that are certain are death, taxes, and you can't withdraw a guilty plea. I mean, a guilty plea is solid and forever. So that's if that happened here, he would have pled guilty uh, without any evidence being put forward other than what he admits to in a guilty plea, and it would be over. It wouldn't have been a two-year-long process before he was found guilty. Wow. You know, what's, what's your opinion now on the legal system and that's a huge question but what i mean yeah. is, do, do, what, what i mean sort of is um we had marsha clark on and we talked about that um the legal system as it is for a woman in it as compared to a man because there's so much talk about this stuff right now with the eagle rights and me too and all that stuff which is great but how do you feel in the in the position that you're in do you, do, you, do you feel treated differently as a woman? Oh, absolutely. Oh, okay. Um, Why? I, mean, I, but I, I, I don't know what Marcia said. She oh, she, oh yeah, oh, she was. She went crazy on it. She went from. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I met Marcia. I met yeah. her. She's lovely I person. That. Lovely person. She Didn't went crazy. She's wonderful. Yeah, she went crazy. Yeah, and yeah, no. Yeah, it was just. Um, so, so you feel like you kind of get a little bit less of of, uh, of this. I don't know how to put this. Do you feel like there's a little bit less power as a woman in your position, or equal, or kind of where where do you find the problems? If I don't even know if that's the right word, but um, yeah. you, you know, I, 
I think there's a lot of problems in, in being female in the system, whether you're accused or, you know, you're a litigant or whether you're a lawyer. But what I've encountered over the years, and I've been a trial lawyer for 35 years, I used to be a DA, is that it, when I was younger, things like this would happen. I was a prosecutor. The judge would say, Ms. Brenner, can you babysit the defendant's kids in the hallway? You know, what? and I would say yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, and that... I did say, I did say later, I wouldn't, I wouldn't leave anyone's kids with me. But anyway, I'm just joking. But <laughs> yeah. you know, those kinds of things, you know, it, it happened in my career, and and sometimes you know you get the honeys, the sweeties, that kind of that kind of thing. But but more, it's, it's it, and, I, and I'm not a big complainer about things like this. I'm just telling you some things I've seen. Is that there can be you can be demeaned sometimes by opposing counsel, or sometimes by a judge, or People think, well, she wouldn't have a big client like that. You know, that would be a guy. You know, yeah. some of those kinds of more subtle um, assumptions. And I've seen it from you know lawyers that have worked for me. You know, like, is that your client? I'm like, well, yeah, actually, it is. You know, <laughs> they, they chose me, <laughs> right? But um, so, so it can be kind of subtle. But in all the years I practice, I have to say that it's a real strength for me to be a female lawyer. I'd rather be nothing else. Um, I think women have more range with juries. I think I think we're more empathetic in a lot of ways. I think that we we get a little more latitude uh, in the way that we present our cases, a little more creativity, and and, and I, I think that you know our relationships with our clients can be very very close. And so on balance, it's been a wonderful thing for me. But you know, there's definitely I can say me too in terms of yeah. some of the problems. <laughs> for, yeah, sure. Me for sure, for sure. Time's up. Right. Me too. Yeah. yeah, time's well, up. Me too. Well, I, I, well, you know, I can't. We're going to have Nancy Grace next month because she's promoting the new show. You are. Yeah, her and Dan Abrams are doing the new A and E show, where they retry yeah. twelve cases or something, and they're retrying them. So they're mm-hmm. doing a promo bit. So those two are going to be on, and and uh, I'll find out from her if she took anything from any men. <laughs> Nancy? Yeah. <laughs> I doubt it. Yeah. I love Nancy. You know, you know, I'm, sure, I'm sure she's encountered it, but whether or not she, you know, didn't fight it, I mean, I could, she's um, I, she's. I wouldn't she's have tough. the guts. I would not have the guts to say anything. I, I, she's really nice <laughs> that I've talked to her, and she's really sweet. She's not, wonderful. Not as aggressive as she was on the show, but... Um, you must have had a good time yeah, on I that agree. show. You must have had a great time on that I show. Love- I had a great time on that show, and and I'll tell you, whenever if Nancy was tough on me, I just smiled, you know, like I'm not gonna fight with Nancy Grace. Yeah. But you're right. She's she's sweet. She's she's a good friend. She's loyal. She's so kind, um, and she's wonderful to everyone in, in her life. And and I've known her now for 20 years, and I just think the world of her. I consider her a very very good friend, a very dear friend. Yeah, a very very nice lady. The um. Yes. The uh, now the James. Chassis murder. Um, th- that was a big case for you as well, wasn't it? In Portland, yes. Yeah. That was a civil case, uh, the police case. Do you think that, because that involves kind of police killing someone that, you know, they it was deemed he shouldn't have. Do you think that goes on more now, or is that getting more of a problem or less of a problem? You know, the whole concept of police abuse and racism against police and blacks, you know, this whole thing. What's your opinion on the direction it's going in? 
I think it's getting a lot more publicity, a lot more attention, and that's obvious, you know, across the nation. And we see, you know, big cases everywhere from New York to South Carolina to Seattle, you know, to Chicago to Baltimore, you know, et cetera, and the big cases. I have handled police shootings and death cases for Seattle police for decades, and also, of course, in Portland and King County and other jurisdictions. And... From my perspective, there, you know, there, there have been claimed to be controversial police-involved deaths throughout my career. And, and, and so when I've seen the more recent publicity, you know, I know from the cases that I've handled that, that this is these, we've had these kinds of cases for a long time. No police officer wants to kill anybody. You know, I've usually been on the scene right after it happens. And, you know, it, it, the use of force by a police officer is, is extremely serious and very serious to the officers themselves. So in with Seattle juries, I've never had an inquest jury fight against an officer over the years. So but to answer your question, is it, is it something that's new, different? At least from my perspective, you know, we've, we've had kind of a consistent number of deaths, you know, per year, very unfortunately, um, at least in Seattle. And I, I think there's just a lot more attention to these types of cases. Are the police getting worse in other cities? I just don't know. I don't have a basis to know, but I have a lot of confidence in the Seattle police and the Portland police. Yeah. Yeah. You know, no, they're quite good. I had the chief of police on and uh, we really enjoy the police, but uh, I was just, just wondering, because mm-hmm. there's so much attention brought to it now. Um, if you think it's going to go anywhere, it doesn't seem to change. I think it's my opinion. Well, uh, it uh, let me... Well, I kind of want to disagree with that because we are changing policies. I I work in law enforcement, and and we are revisiting a lot of our policies simply due to the attention. You know, it's bringing more focus, like, hey, maybe we're – maybe it's time that we revisit some of these policies. Exactly. No, you're exactly right. And and I think that's very, very important. It's been embraced here in Seattle, I know, in Portland. I – what I've advocated for all along is is transparency and that we should have an inquest system or a jury hears the facts, not just shooting review board by the department, but an actual proceeding, not a grand jury secret proceeding, but a proceeding that's open to the public, examining who, what, where, when, how. Each side has counsel, the decedent's family, the police on themselves, there's a prosecutor, a judge. The more transparency we can have in the recounting of these unfortunate incidents, the better, so that we can understand, and like you said, examine and maybe change policies and take a look at things we can do better in the future. We can always do better. Um, But to make sure everybody understands exactly what happens in any kind of um, officer-involved shooting or um, use of deadly force. Now, here's an idea that that I thought about, you know, some years ago, is getting the public involved in those type of panels. You know, right. Give them, a, you know, give them a little bit of education, and then say, "What do you think of this?" Now, but right. it, it's difficult now because there seems to be such a anti-law enforcement bias lately. What is your opinion on that? I mean, it's almost like we've kind of painted ourselves into a corner. I know, and the thing is, you know, in, in terms of of some of the shootings, it, it just becomes polarized in an instant. So that nobody's willing to, you know, it's kind of like it's all over except for the shouting. That we don't see a discourse about, 
you know, some of the shootings and, and are decided in public opinion immediately. And, and so, I, you know, it, it, I think it's really, really difficult. We have to keep moving to where that, that there's excellent policies, you know, that the use of deadly force is appropriate and it's used as, as last resort and, and that we don't have any of these kind of controversial shootings. And they're sure out there. I acknowledge that, you know, around the nation. They're, they're out there. But they're so polarizing that I don't know that that we, you know, can get the conversations where they need to be. I think it's good for the public to be involved in an inquest. And they are as inquest jurors in Seattle. They just stopped inquest in this state or in this county, by the way. The county executive put a moratorium on it to reexamine that process. But I still think it's the best process out there as opposed to having a secret grand jury, you know, having something you know, where it's just internal review um, on a shooting alone um, or just a decision, you know, by a prosecutor about what to do with the officer, criminal versus non, without any kind of evidence review that's formal. You know, that you just have someone make a decision based upon the police interviews or police reports and not have an actual evidentiary hearing with witnesses and evidence. Yeah, perhaps a lot of that will change, though, because now a lot of departments are going to all body cam all the time. Right. I think it's great. I was going to say... Downside to that. No, no. I was going to say, too, that I... um, one thing I learned just in an interview a little while back is about the Rafe Burns case, you know, in Bellevue. The two kids from Vancouver, oh, sure. you know, because we were dealing with, okay. yeah, and we're dealing with the Mr. Big thing out of Canada and Project Innocence. I didn't realize this, and I feel really stupid. Now, so, <laughs> never. Well, no, I do because when uh, they do not offer parole in the state of Washington. Oh no, they don't. Huh? So what? Yeah, no, no. See, I knew Kevin wouldn't know this either. If you're in Washington, like these two kids got convicted for the murder, you weren't on that interview, but, and now there's, you know, there's a lot of controversy whether they did it or not, blah, blah, blah. We don't need to get into that. But I I just found out when we were doing that interview because the Project Innocent, Ken, Ken Klonsky, the guy trying to help them get out, says there's no parole in Washington. So you get 20 years, you get... 20 years. Exactly. We have what's called sentencing reform. It's the SRA Sentencing Reform Act, and it was enacted in the early 80s. And it's basically saying that they felt that parole was abused, and they felt the commission, the sentencing, or the commission, and also the legislature. And so it was basically you do the crime, you do the time. There's set, there's set um, ranges looking at the crime itself, looking at your criminal history. You're looking at other factors, and you're going to serve that time within a range. And then when you're out, you get what's called community supervision. For a short term, the parole is gone. Um, there was like an anecdotal story that a judge once had sentenced somebody to like sit in his lawyer's office for a couple hours on a serious case. I mean, that, that's the kind of things people were saying. It's like, and then parole would be granted too early, you know, for people, and they would go out and commit heinous crimes. So in our state, we said it's all... Um, sentencing reform, and we have specific times that you do, depending on the crime and your history, and then when you're done, you're done. Wow. Uh, do, you, do you like it? Do you think it's working? I like it um, because I, I think it does get certainty, and, and I think 
it, I think when I was a prosecutor, I thought a lot of the ranges were too small, especially for, like, uh, negligent homicide, like with the DUI. You know, some of those were, were seemed to me to be, you know, lighter sentences. Again, like negligent homicide is, is not a lot of time. So some crimes you think, geez, it should be a lot more time than that. But for anybody sentenced, they probably think it's way too much time. And I remember the burns in the fake case. Yeah. Remember, they went to Canada. They went up to Canada yeah. and had to be extradited. Right. And, of course, Canada wouldn't extradite them because it was a death penalty case. Exactly. Exactly. And so that's why they came back and they were tried... Um, you know, only looking at a license. How do you, actually, you're a lawyer. This is good. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. How, what do you think about... <laughs> no, because what do you think about that Mr. Big thing? Because... In, see, in Canada, Kevin, they do uh, Mr. Big Sting. So the kids are up in Canada, and the RCMP undercover force pretends to be gangsters or kind of bad people, and they befriend the people that 
they feel have committed a crime. And so then what they do is they get them to do, you know, run guns, drugs, steal cars, do all these fake crimes that they've made. And once they get the trust, then they end up getting the information about, oh, so tell me about those that woman you killed, you know, or something. They'll get into that, and they record it, and it's a recorded confession. In Now, in the States, that's entrapment, isn't it? In, the, in Canada, it's still considered legal. But they used what the Canadian policing did to convict those two in the States. Even mm-hmm. though, but they how, did. How can that be? Because if that was American cops that did this same thing to them in Bellevue, it wouldn't be allowed. So why is it allowed to take something that you couldn't do in, in this country from another country? Like That's confusing to me. Well, I mean, it was it was legal in the country where it occurred, and I actually went to that trial. I remember watching or listening to some of those tapes of um, uh, Burns and Ruffay talking to the quote-unquote bad guy monster people. Yeah. But entrapment's pretty hard to prove. You have to basically show that you wouldn't have had that thought in your mind unless they, the authorities, you know, um, got it implanted into you or, you know, persuaded you to do this, but you didn't, you basically, in a lot of ways, you know, wouldn't have done the crime otherwise. And I think the Canadian case, they spent quite a bit of time hanging out with these two and getting them to talk. And then the tapes were deemed to be admissible by a judge. I presume an argument was made, like you said, to Judge Martel, who was the trial judge, you know, something like, you know, well, this is not, wouldn't be legal here, so it shouldn't be admissible. I'm sure that was tested yeah. to the judge, but he let him in. Yeah, because it's a voluntary utterance. Yeah, Definitely. They were bragging, as I, as I remember, they, they, you know, there was, there was quite a bit, uh, I think, of, of tape in that case. Oh, there was, there was. They did five months. And the uh, Sebastian Burns is the one that did the, uh, the bragging. But he was, you know, when you looked at him throughout the whole five months, even when they didn't talk about the case, he was very arrogant. He was, uh, yes. he came across that way. Like he would tell the judge what was wrong, you know, in the case. He, he was very flippant to people so people didn't like him um right rafe was really quiet mm-hmm. and polite and mannered and didn't really go off and so was it wasn't rafe's sister the one that was murdered besides the parents yeah yeah she was the one with autism and 20 years old horrible yeah oh it was a terrible yeah. brood beating terrible awful that was brutal terrible and especially in bellevue something that just you'd never heard of you know um just that so many of those, right. so many of those, because now the Supreme Court of Canada sort of put a real kibosh on that sort of uh, Mr. Big thing. So, mm-hmm. And a lot of them are being overturned. Well, I, I think that you know the thing with Burns and Rafay was that you know it was such a horrific crime, um, and then they were gone, you know, to Canada. They absconded, and then I, I don't know if you remember this, but but um Burns um, said he'd been involved sexually with his own lawyer. So that, oh, that was a whole other side of stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. She got kicked off case. the case. Yeah, man. Right. So it was really protracted, you know, from from the crime until they were actually convicted. Yeah, this would be a great movie. Yeah. <laughs> terrible case. Well, it's a terrible case, and I, and I know that they're... Uh, Sebastian Burns is done with his appeals, but I know Rafay's still on his. So, um, 
Yes, you well, are. well, and you know they just finished. They just finished doing a number of um, pieces on the Menendez brothers. Twenty five years later, I think Netflix did one, and they did a Law and Order to Wolf series on that case. Yeah, yeah, we actually just talked to them on the A and E one where they had that, and uh, you know some of these cases. Uh, did, which, which did which sticks with you for the longest? Like right now, that you were involved with, or even if you weren't, what what stays with you? I think the Susan Cox Powell case, because she's never been found, and um, and then when her husband, the suspect, came out to Washington, um, the kids were given to him through DSHS, and he uh, blew them up in the house, killed them with a hatchet, and so... And Susan still hasn't been found, and it was such a horrible tragedy to, like, a wonderful family... Yeah, the I've worked with for years. It's just like there's, I've never seen in all of the cases I've covered or handled myself such like a horrible set of circumstances. You know, those little boys. You know, yeah, they they were running to their dad. He said I was surprised, and he set the house on fire and killed him with passion. Oh yeah, yeah, that was terrible. <clears throat> terrible. What do you like better, uh, defense? Or prosecution? What did you like personally doing better? Or I guess you have to say defense now, but <laughs> <laughs> I like all of it. I, I like I like all of it. I, I'm like, you know, there's there's that saying that only lawyers and painters can turn black to white. You know, it's like you come into a situation. I guess I'm more just based on the client or the case as opposed to what side of it I'm on. Um, I think it's most rewarding to be a prosecutor and represent victims. But I represent victims in civil cases, too. And so I find that to be the most gratifying, that people that don't have access to justice, in a lot of ways, I like to help with that. Amanda Knox was very gratifying. Yeah. You know, there's somebody that everyone thought was guilty in the beginning. And, you know, you know, all types of horrors were raining on her head. And to have gotten involved in that, you know, and trying to help somebody, you know, that, that almost seemed beyond help in the beginning... It's really gratifying to me. It's a great thing to be a lawyer that you can use those skills in our system to help people. And so I know, I know it sounds kind of simple and almost cheesy, but there's nothing like it, I think. When, when she came home, I mean, I, I was crying like a baby. I mean, it was just like when I heard the news. Yeah. You know, when certain cases, when, when, when justice prevails, I mean, there's just nothing like it. Do you think that we have some sort of, uh, like with the wrongful convictions that have been coming out lately and a lot of the talk about that, um, do you think that we need to reassess some of the trials, some of the convictions sort of things? Like, like should we be um, showing them on TV? Should, you know, like the, you were talking about public and, and they all get on one side or the other because of whatever they see but without really seeing the evidence. So should we really be televising everything as it goes and exposing everybody to it, or should we kind of keep it a little bit more quiet? I think we should televise things, and that's part of, you know, access to justice and our rights as citizens. But it's also the right of the accused under the Constitution to have the public, you know, examine their trial for fairness. I mean, it's not just public access rights. 
it's the right of the accused. They have their 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 proceedings scrutinized, you know, for fairness. And you know, I, I cover some trials for some of the cable networks. And Scott Peterson's case, remember, was fully televised. Right. Um, Michael Jackson's wasn't. Um, Casey Anthony was. You know, it's like. O.J. Simpson, of course, we know this for all the centuries. But I think think it's helpful for the public to see exactly what the evidence is if the public wants to see it in a high-profile trial. And in Michael Jackson's case, you know, we we would have to come out as lawyers and address the media about some of the legal issues. And I was put in a position saying what happened in court. Why not just have people, the public, see what's happening in court? You know, the Court TV was a great network. You know, Dan and Nancy both do a lot with public trials. You know, Dan's got his own network now, the Law News Network, right. covering live trials. And, and I think people want to see live trials. And I think that's the best way to see justice at work, or system at work. And people can make their own conclusions well, by watching the evidence. Of course, the jury's going to decide, and the judge is going to decide. Yeah, yeah, go I, ahead. Sorry. I think, well, no, I just, the only thing is, because like we, <clears throat> we were doing, we were in Phoenix, we still are, uh, our show, but um, that's where it was originated, and the Jody Arias trial was on. So of course we had, um, you know, uh, Kirk Nurmi, and we've had, uh, sure, uh, you know, Martinez. You know, we did the whole thing several times. Uh, mm-hmm. How can you see? Because I look at Kirk Nurmi, and and he, it wrecked his life. Um, I know, and, and and I just don't. How can you do your job when you're under that much scrutiny? Like, oh, did he? Did he did he get a you know operation? Did he lose weight? Did he is he you know what color tie is that he's wearing? Or he's you know all these name callings and then then the threats on their families and then the uh, I'm gonna you know we're gonna kill your daughter and you know all the stuff they were getting. I'm thinking, if I if I was in I mean I don't know I'm not a lawyer but if I was a lawyer under that kind of scrutiny I I think it would be very hard to do my job not because I'm inadequate but because wow that's that's pressure i'm not used to being on all of a sudden i'm on every cable channel 24 7 and everybody's got an opinion about me yeah i mean that's for someone like that i i felt horrible for him you know what he went through and especially with someone like jody Arias was a client i mean no, she was demonized the public there's no as you know no yeah. doubt and, 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 of course, Marcia knows what that is, you know, when she was um, prosecuting O.J. Simpson and, you know, any number of these cases, you, you, you do have that. That's a real big downside. Even in the Amanda Knox case, I had people make death threats, put me in felons, outfits, fits, doctor pictures, put them on the web, you know, all kind of put my address out there. There's a whole world now with social media and the media where, 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 where it can be really menacing. What doesn't that like? Does, but what I'm saying is, but doesn't that okay? So you're here with getting little bad comments about Amanda and threats. Doesn't that take the attention away from what you're doing, or doesn't that kind of affect you? Like, I, I'm just trying to get into the mind of how that would affect you. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, over the years, I, I'm not on the level of Marsha or, or anybody else who has had cases. In, in the media, so I can't really speak to that kind of exposure. But no matter what the exposure is and, and the negativity, sure it affects you. I mean, I, I've had um, police protection at my house. Um, you know, I've had 
an alarm installed in my house that goes directly to the police department. And it can definitely affect you. I mean, it would affect anybody, whether you're getting threats, whether you're getting smears, you know, whether you're getting, you know, criticism that's not fair. That's a huge scale to be in, to be that prominent in an international case or national case, especially when you represent, you know, um, the damned. I mean, that's what she was, Casey, or um, Joni Arias. You know, the attorney for the damned, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, let's, let's revisit media coverage of high-profile crimes. I, I think one of the points that, that Al was alluding to is, do you think that major coverage of a crime before the trial, do you think that that could prejudice any potential jury pool? And how do you get around that as a defense attorney? That's a great point, and, and that's the analysis. When there's prejudicial information out there that could um, taint the jury poll, then then there's a real concern. Prosecutors under the ethical rules are not allowed to say much, and they shouldn't. I mean, they should simply say, this is a crime, this is a person who's been arrested, this is a trial date, and not talk about statements of the accused, potentially inadmissible evidence, you know, characterize the accused, any of those things. And that helps a lot when a prosecutor um, basically stands by what they're duty-bound to not do or say. And then when you deal with, if it's out everywhere in the media, then you have to deal with the question of the change of venue. I mean, but it can only be within your own thing. And with oh, the internet, yes. it doesn't really seem, you know, um, it's not really make a difference whether you try a case in Seattle or with the island or anything else because it's everywhere. So it's really tough. And I was going to mention the first case I remember like this and historically was the Fatty Arbuckle case in San Francisco that really made her, you know, rich and able to, I would say, was able to build San Simeon because Fatty Arbuckle was the most popular Hollywood comedian of the day, he was accused of a homicide, a rape and a homicide, and it was all over, all the time, in the newspaper, the Hearst newspapers, and he was tried three times, and he didn't do it, and the jury said he didn't do it, and he died, like, at the age of 50 after three trials. Mm. There was so much salacious coverage about him, it was party to San Francisco, um, I think it was the Mark Hopkins of the St. Francis, and a woman, you know, died from sepsis, but they said he had sex with her, and he's so fat, he killed her, and on and on and on. It sold newspapers like crazy. But there's really no way to avoid that, like you said, in, in today's, you know, digital age. You know, we've got right. CNN, we've got Fox, we have major networks. Uh, for example, a local example, um, we had the Amy Bishop killing here where, you know, she shot her um, colleagues over here at UAH. Uh, oh, my God, that was on Fox News, CNN, before, you know, before the investigators knew what was going on. And now I, I have to question if somebody like that has a fair trial, like you said, even with a change of venue. Doesn't something like that start actually with the investigators releasing information and and... Yeah. There's really no way to stop that, is there? No, except for that that the, the investigators shouldn't be re releasing anything the prosecutor couldn't release. 
And so they need to be really careful about not sending things out into the media. Because oh. you're going to say, as a defense attorney, they tend, they know, they've impacted my client's right to a fair trial negatively by releasing a bunch of things. Maybe it's not evidence that will come in. You know, that's a lot of the problem. The jury gets tainted beforehand. Yeah. Now, now, part two of this, and this is the conundrum, let's look at the Las Vegas shooters. This is a situation where they're trying to withhold information so that they don't, you know, create an opinion and effectively try this this man in the media who is already deceased. But now you've got the, the media and the public putting pressure on the sheriff's department. We want information. We want information that they don't have. So, you know, there's a there's a strange balance that has to be reached between appeasing the public but assuring this person's rights. You know, beautifully stated. And and when you look at the requirements ethically of a prosecutor, part of that is if it's necessary for public safety, there's certain things you should say and certain things you can say. You know, as a person at large, you know, are, are, are people at risk? Those are the kinds of things they should say. Yeah. Well... There we have it. <laughs> I wasn't, I, yeah, I wasn't, I just sort of, uh, sometimes I just think that the position of people when they get in that kind of spotlight, is, is, it's got to be real difficult, you know. Um, but Well, yeah, I mean, when you look at hundreds of people being shot and scores of people dying, the enormity of that has just got to be overwhelming for anybody. Yeah. It was for all of us. Yeah, yeah, it's quite the tragedy, and and uh, you know, uh, unfortunately, it probably keep on happening. Um, but think positive. Stop it, Kevin. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> think positive, right? Yeah. Well, so so, man, what's what's kind of going on now? You've got a lot of cases going and stuff, and anything mm-hmm. uh, in the works for you for two thousand eighteen. No, I'm just, I've, I've got a lot of cases. We still have the Susan Cox Powell case um, against the Child Protective Services where they didn't protect those boys. They gave the boys to Stephen Powell, so that's pending in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. And I've, I've done some documentaries recently on everything from Scott Peterson to Rebecca Zahau to the Menendez brothers. And the Rebecca Zahau trial is starting soon in California. Remember, she was the one hanging naked off the balcony oh, yeah. um, in Coronado. And they called it a suicide. <laughs> and she was bound and gagged. I know. I said, I've never seen a suicide like that. I represented the family in a criminal investigation. So I'll be interested to see what happens with that. I hope they get justice. And um, just, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to um, do a little bit more, like, insight on Amanda Knox's case, you know, and to figure out lessons learned and what it means, you know, to the wrongfully accused and convicted. You know, what kind of lessons we can learn from that case. Because it was, you know, the biggest case uh, of its kind of a, of a wrongful prosecution uh, internationally. Okay. Kevin, I thought you had one more. Oh, yeah. I, I've got to ask this. Just out of curiosity, you know, this is for my own selfish indulgence here. Is, okay. is, there, a, is there a case that you've ever regretted taking as a defense? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. Uh, you know what? There's more than one. I can tell you that. 
But I can't play with pizzas. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, not on the air. Come on, you can't. Yeah, I don't know if they're listening. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, uh, <laughs> you never know. Okay, you can always say, "Hey, if you're listening right now, turn us off." Yeah, but yeah, you know, everybody I, listens to you guys. Yeah. So, no, I mean, I'll just say, I, I have some regrets. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Now, Al, you can tell she's a good attorney because she answered the question without answering it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Thank that's you. Right. Thanks for the compliment. Yeah. yeah, that's how it goes. Well, Anne, uh, it is, yeah. we're, we're going to wrap it up, but thank you very much. This has been a pleasure. And, and, and you know, anytime you have anything to talk about or if you want to have any um, news about anything or cases and you want to bring out some information, we are more than happy because we do crime all the time. We're five days a week and uh, we're, we're open to it because you're in Seattle. That's our home station here. So we're always promoting stuff like that. Well, it's been such an honor and pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. The honor was ours. Okay, we're back. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.